Good morning. Let's take back a little journey in time. Let's see if you remember these words. Uh, Cold War. Cuban Missile Crisis. Duck and cover. Remember that? Duck and cover. Or you saw the signs, the little triangle signs with the letters CD in the middle of that. Remember? No? I do. I remember those. And we always took a survival packet to school. And on the last day of school, we ate what was in our packet, the stale crackers and... It was awful. It was awful. We wanted each student to feel secure. Now, I'm not really seeing how secure in the fact of a nuclear attack, my little metal desk with the wooden top would have taken care of me, but it made me feel better, you know. Well, fast forward several years, and uh, I was picked up in a car by a man in the Air Force, a highly decorated man. And I was driven out to a small building uh, at Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha, Nebraska. Walked into this room, small room, and uh, he signed some papers. And we walked down 10 flights of stairs through a door. And he opened the door and there were guards with machine guns. And uh, we made a left-hand turn. And there was a vault door that was bigger than any bank vault door I had ever seen in my life. It was huge. More guards inside. And as I stepped inside, I realized that this was the underground bunker of the Strategic Air Command. They were the command that governed all of our nuclear submarines, our nuclear bombers, and our nuclear missiles. And I remember very distinctly that right behind me, within my arm's distance, was the red phone to the president's office. I, I didn't pick it up. <laughs> but he had a red phone in front, in front of him. And he picked it up, and immediately, 82 air bases all across the world responded. And he said, this is a practice. This is a practice. It was an awe-inspiring situation. My roommate was a Russian cryptologist who worked there. And, of course, I was not allowed to see any of the machinery that he worked there with at that time. But I thought of my, as I left that place, what a wonderful, incredible feeling of protection that I had because the power of the United States of America was protecting me. And I think one of the greatest tragedies that we see is, and the phone calls I get and the emails that I see, is that so many believers in Jesus Christ have failed to realize the power and the protection of Almighty God. And the fact that their security in Jesus Christ is secure because of who God is. Because of what Jesus has done. I I don't know where you are today in your spiritual journey. I don't know where you're standing with the Lord. But it seems like many, many people go through times of severe doubt. 
and worry and anxiety. In fact, I was just checking my voicemail this morning and Lo and behold, there's a lady in Pennsylvania that I've been talking to on the phone who goes through those periods of severe doubt whether God really loves her or not. So I want to tell you today that if that is your case, that is what you feel, then remember something. It is not what you do. It is what God has done. So please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8 if you have not already. Because this is going to be a powerful passage of Scripture that we are going to look at today. First of all, I want us to see the power behind our security. This passage, Romans 8, is the apex, I believe, of the whole epistles of Romans. I've read 250 pages, and I'm supposed to tell you the whole depth of that in 28 minutes, which is not going to happen. But... There are two concepts that are in this passage, in these verses, verses 29 to the end of the chapter, that deal with the power and the protection of Almighty God. The first reason of why we can feel that great power and have that great protection is because our faith is anchored. It is anchored in God's provision. When you look at the book of Romans, and we saw this as Pastor Michael was speaking through Romans chapter 5, the first 11 verses, we see the state that we are in. We are sinners. We've missed the mark of God's righteousness. We're helpless. We can't redeem ourselves. We are ungodly. Our attitudes and actions are against God. We are enemies. We are opposed to God's desires. But then it says in verse 8, but God, but God. Go over to Ephesians chapter 2. It says, we're dead in trespasses and sin. We're living in Satan's domain. We're indulging in selfish desires. But verse 4 says, but God. Where would you be without the but God in your life? You see, my friends, there's no way that man is able to redeem himself. No way. He is dead in trespasses and sin. (laughs) Praise God for his sacrifice, right? Hebrews chapter 10 says, He made by one sacrifice for all time for our sin. When he said in John 10, or that he says in John, his crucifixion, it is finished Testelestai, perfect tense. It was finished at that point in time where he uttered that sentence, and it is in a state of being completely finished to this very day. It is unchanging. It is unchangeable. It is complete. It is done. It is finished. The finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross for our salvation. It was sufficient. It was sufficient for, you see, in the past, we were saved from the penalty of sin. Presently, we are being saved from the power of sin. And in the future, one day, we will be saved from the presence of sin. God has completed it all. He has done it all from time past to the future. There's nothing that we need to add to our salvation to make it complete. Remember, it is not what we do, it is what he has done for us. Praise God. Man, where would we be without the provision of Christ? 
And the answer is dead in our trespasses and sin. But when you will put the verses on the screen here, but we'll see the fact that it was not only anchored in Christ's provision, but it was accomplished through the whole program of Christ. And so what he does in these verses that follow in, in Romans 8 is that he's going to give you five links to show the program of God. From foreknowledge to glorification. From the past to the future. It is imperative that we understand that the tense that Paul uses in these descriptions is a tense that says it is a completed action. It's done. So I've asked myself some questions, and so you can ask yourself some questions when we look at these different words. The word foreknowledge. Well, in verse 30. It's the concept that is used of God's special love and intimacy. God showers his love upon us. For God, what so loved the world. But Christ demonstrated his love for us. How do I understand the love of God? I don't know. It's far beyond my mind. But it is not beyond my praise. The love of God. How rich and full. How measureless. How do you measure the love of God? So, ask yourself. Did you or could you as an unbeliever make up that special love relationship? To have that relationship with Almighty God? Could you do that on your own? No. Because according to... Ephesians 2, like we said, we were dead in trespasses and sin. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, the man who doesn't have Christ as Savior considers those spiritual things as moronic. They're moronic. They don't make sense to the unbeliever. But the program of God makes perfect sense. The next word, predestined, marked out destiny. Did you as an unbeliever bring about events in your life to make yourself acceptable to God? Do you say, well, I'm going to do this and then God is going to be accepted. He's he's going to love me. He's going to say I'm A-OK. So I'm just going to have these events. I'll take place in my life and, and then God will be pleased. Really? Amazing. Because Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. But what? According to his what? Mercy. He saved us. I said to a man just this week. I said religion is man's efforts to please God. But relationship is God reaching down to man. And he looked at me. And he goes. I, I could just tell he was like. Hmm. Never thought of that before. Never thought about that before. You see the word called. He calls us to himself. You heard the truths of salvation. The Holy Spirit worked in your heart. You acknowledged your need of Christ. I can remember very definitely when that happened in my own life. Did I understand it all? No. I remember hearing this evangelist speak and was like, oh, how'd that guy know me? 
He didn't have any idea who I was. But it happened two nights in a row. And it was the Holy Spirit working in my heart, bringing me to the Lord Jesus. So did you ask yourself as an unbeliever, did you decide that you were good enough to come to Jesus on your terms? Well, Lord, you're so lucky to have me on your side. Oh, really? On your own terms? No. Because Scripture says all of our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. Oh, you see, my friends, the power of God is demonstrated over and over and over again in salvation. And then he says we are justified. Oh, man. That is such a powerful word. It is a pronouncement that is made by God. It is not a process that is done by a man. God pronounces you justified when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not your self-righteousness. When you accept Jesus Christ as Savior... 32 things happen to you at salvation, and one of them is that God declares you justified in his sight. Well, ask yourself this question. If you as an unbeliever were dead in trespasses and sin, how could you declare yourself just, justified in the sight of God? And if it was that case that your justification was based upon your efforts, when will you know that you have done enough to make yourself justified in the sight of God? Would you want to live with that uncertainty? Going through life, well, I wonder if I've done enough. Hmm. What a terrible way to live. Because Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace we have been saved. That's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he says the last word, glorified. Changed forever in the presence of Christ. Could you as an unbeliever change yourself to make yourself perfect in the presence of God? How would you do that? Because Scripture tells me that the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So you see, my friends, it's, it's not something that man can do. It is only the work of the grace of God And the work of the Holy Spirit bringing conviction to our heart. And we bow the knee in submission to Almighty God and say, Lord God, I repent. For I am indeed a sinner in need of your righteousness and your salvation. One of of my favorite texts is the men in the boat, Peter in the boat. You know, everybody blasts Peter, you know, owe him a little faith. Well, he got out of the boat. That's better than most of the guys did. But the interesting thing is when he says, Lord, save me. And it wasn't like the Lord says, well, got to think about that, Peter. Ah, what did he say? And immediately, don't you love that? Immediately, God didn't waste time. Hmm, he didn't waste time. 
So, my friends, that great provision in Christ is seen in this text in Romans. It is his work for us on our behalf as sinners. Do you know what that's called? Mercy and grace. Where would we be without the mercy and the grace of God? We'd be lost and dead in our sin. So he comes back in these other verses. And because of that great provision that we have seen in Christ. And because the Heavenly Father loves us so much. What does he want to do? He wants to protect us. As we are his children. Man. We all as parents want to protect our children. That's inherent because they're our children. But you know what? Satan is alive and well, right? It just, I don't know. I, just, I told somebody the other day, it just seems like, like uh, Satan has just opened the door and just unleashed the forces of hell recently. Things that I've never heard of before happening. And it's like, that's unbelievable. Where's this coming from? Well, my friend, Satan is alive and well, as I said. And listen carefully. Satan is not interested in defeating the Christian. He wants to destroy the Christian. And he will do all in his power to do so. There are 18 different names for Satan in Scripture. Listen to them, some of them. Adversary, evil one, slanderer, accuser, deceiver, destroyer, enemy, tempter, murderer, liar. And he will use any means possible. To destroy the believer. Because it says in scripture. He uses schemes. He uses wiles. He uses snares. 1 Peter 2.12 says. Flee also youthful lust. Which wage war against the soul. That word wage war. Is where we get our word strategy. Satan strategizes for our destruction. How he may do it with him over here. He may do it with her differently over here. He's going to customize his strategies to seek your destruction. And he goes about it absolutely relentlessly. So, what's his strategy in your life? What is he using against you? What is he warring against you with? Is it fear? Anxiety, depression, anger, envy, lust, I I don't know, whatever it is. Because he is customizing it for your destruction. And he will use any means possible. And isn't it interesting that temptation is never a neon sign saying, Temptation, fall here. Are you kidding? They're all camouflaged. And it's a snare. But praise God. Praise God that when Satan attacks, 
the saints have an arsenal. And we see this here in this passage. Verse 31 says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? That word if is a first-class conditional. Since God is for us. Since, not if, well, maybe he is, maybe he is. No, no. Since God is for us, who can be against us? Your heavenly Father is for His children and you as His child. And the first thing that we have in the arsenal as a believer is that we can enjoy the personality of God. What do you mean? We can experience the fact that He is almighty. He is good. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. He's defender. That is why we can say, Abba, Father. Hmm. What a great word. Abba, Father. We can say, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, but he does. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to handle this situation, but he does. Lord, I need your grace and your mercy and your kindness to be upon me. Oh, God, I need your help. Will God ever leave you alone? Will he ever abandon you? No, no, not at all. See, we have the privilege as children to enjoy his personality. Question number two that I often hear. Is God really going to help me? Is God really going to help me? Paul answers in verse 32. Yes. You know why? Because we can experience the provision of God. Not only we can enjoy the the personality of God, but we can experience the provision of God. Listen, if Jesus gave the greatest gift of his son for our salvation, do you think he's going to walk away and not take care of you? We often feel that. But I love that passage in Luke chapter 11. What kind of a father would it be if, if, if the child asking for a loaf of bread, if he's going to give him a rock? I didn't much of a father. Aren't you glad your heavenly father is not like that? The provision of God. Lord, I need all that you are. Give it to me, Lord God, at this time of difficulty. Lord, I know that you can help me. Please, oh God, may I trust you. Question number three. Can I really, really know that I am saved? Verse 33. We not only have the personality of God and the provision of God, we also have the pronouncement of God. You are justified. My child, I declare you justified. Satan may come and his arsenal may come against you and he may say to you, oh, your sin will never be paid. Your sin is too great to be forgiven. You're beyond forgiveness. I can remember there was a time in my life when I went through great doubt. I was, there was a time in my life where I was struggling mightily. I felt so condemned and so unworthy 
And then I picked up my Bible and read Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And I remember, I remember, I was in my bedroom and I threw my Bible in, in the air and I let out a big woo, wah, you know. And my mom came running upstairs, are you okay, you okay? I said, never been better. Why? Because I'm not condemned. I'm declared justified. So question number four, verse 34. How do I handle all of my doubts? Satan just seems to be, he just seems to be yelling in my ear all the time. Can you really trust God? Are you really going to believe God? Do you think God is really good? Name the question and he'll yell it in your ear, right? But isn't it incredible that Jesus is praying for us? He prays for us. He who was victor over sin and death and hell is praying for me and for you. 24 7, 365. Doubts? Yeah, they'll come. Mm hmm. But you can sit there and say, oh God, Lord, Thank you for praying for me because I don't know how to put the words together myself. You ever been there? Mm-hmm. But Jesus is praying for you. Oh, man, that's good. That's great. Jesus prays for his children. Question number five. Will God ever abandon me in my trials? Look what it says here. Emotional stress, pressures, persecution, needs, feeling destitute, perilous situations, even murder. And the answer is no, God will never abandon his children. There's a few places in the Greek New Testament where this concept is used. And in Hebrews 13.5, it is a triple negative. Bad English. I ain't got none. No. We'd sit there and go, oh, man, this guy needs to take school all over again. But this is a triple negative in the Greek language. I will never, ever, no, not ever, never leave you or forsake you. And the answer to response is praise God. You ever been to a place in your life where you felt you were forsaken by God? Where the whole bottom of your world has fallen out? Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you feel like you're, you're, you're praying to, to stones and rocks? Ah, I will never, ever, ever. No, not ever, ever leave you or forsake you. You have the prayers of Christ praying for you. Verse 37 says this, We have the presence of our Lord forever. In all of these things, 
all of these situations that we go through, we can be victorious, more than conquerors, hyper-conquerors. Why? Because look at the arsenal we have. We have the personality of God that we can enjoy. We can experience God's provision and know that Jesus is going to take care of us. We've heard God's pronouncement that we are justified. We are assured that Jesus is praying for us. And we have the presence of Christ with us at all times. That's a heavy arsenal. And so then he comes to make sure that we capture it very, very carefully. And he says, well, I'm sure Satan will attack the saints. And yes, the saints have an arsenal. But it's just like like Paul is so overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit and inspiration that he gives this incredible doxology that just covers everything. And the saints have an arsenal, but they also have an assurance. And by the use of contrast, Paul declares this great doxology. I'm convinced that life nor death, well, Jesus conquered death, nor any situation in life, well, he's the sovereign Lord over all of life, nor all the angelic powers, well, the angelic powers worship him, no time limit, for he is eternal, no authority, he's he's sovereign over all, even all the demonic powers bow in submission to him, no distance, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because he has the power and has demonstrated his power to keep our salvation secure. And as a result of that, he provides an incredible protection for his children. You know why? Because he loves us. He loves us. Do I understand all of that? That immensity of his love? No. I'm finite. We're finite. We're limited by time and space. God isn't limited by anything. But that's not a reason why we can't praise him. Stop and think of the situations in your life where you doubted God and then God came through. And you said, boy, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Dark times, difficult times, doubting times, name it. Was it beyond the faithfulness of God to minister to you? No. No. Why? Because he loves his children. He loves his children. So today, if you're doubting, if you're doubting, remember two things. Remember the power of God and the protection of God on your behalf as his child. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all the goodness of God. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness. Oh, God, how we praise your name that you are unfailing. You've never failed. You never will fail. 
For you are Almighty God and our Heavenly Father. Thank you, O Lord, for your power and protection that we enjoy as your children. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. In your good name we pray. Amen.